What is the gospel that we have received? If someone came up to you in a Jay Leno type way, interviewing you on the street, and someone asked you, what is the gospel that we have received, how would you answer? A few months ago, I spoke at Fate Academy Chapel, and I, I spoke to them about the true faith, the true Christian faith. And what piqued my interest in that is I had listened to um, a podcast called The White Horse Inn. And if you're looking for a good, reformed, biblical podcast just to kind of pass your time, White Horse Inn, download it, subscribe. It, it's just wonderful. But they, in a Jay Leno type way, went and asked Christians who attended conferences, who went to Christian schools, and they asked them, what is the Christian faith? What do we have faith in? And you can imagine there were a whole host of answers. Most of their answers began something like, well, I believe. Well, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe in Jesus. And that is what I put my faith in. Some were even, you know, some were even such great Christians that they quoted scripture. They said, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Quoting Hebrews 11.1. 1. But unfortunately, their, their answers kind of deteriorated from there because they, they quoted that this faith that they have, this faith in something they cannot see, is merely just blind faith. And that's it. They have chosen to have faith. They feel like faith. Their faith supports them. And so they have faith in Jesus. Now, on this episode, on this podcast, they also interviewed a self Fessing atheist. And they asked him, what is the Christian faith? And his response was very telling because his response was, oh, I wish I had that much faith. I wish I had enough faith to believe in Jesus, but I don't because I need evidence. I need scientific proof. And the faith of Christianity is in nothing. It's good feelings and well wishes. And it gives people a warm, fuzzy feeling in their stomach, which might have been something that they ate, but that's what their faith is. It's unprovable. It's unscientific. But then he ended again with, I wish I had that much faith. So I want to ask you again, what is the gospel that we have received? If someone asked you on the street, how would you answer that question? And I plead with you, if you don't have an answer to that question, please listen. Because as we, I asked last week, I asked, what is the gospel? And what I said last week is if we get the gospel wrong, we get everything wrong. Because if we get the gospel wrong, we don't get Jesus. But if we get the gospel correct, if we get the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we gain everything because we gain Jesus himself. And as I said last week, the gospel in its simplest form, as children, look at me, look at me. This, this is what you need to, to, to memorize. What is the gospel? God saves sinners. 
That's the gospel that we proclaim. God saves wretched, undeserving, evil sinners through Jesus Christ. Not because they deserve it, but because he loves them. Whether it's in books like Isaiah 52, where God proclaimed this good news. He proclaimed the gospel. He published peace and happiness and salvation because Yahweh reigns. In the Old Testament, God promised his people a redeemer. He promised them that the seed of the woman, that the seed of Abraham, that the seed of Judah, the son of David, the king, would someday rescue his people and offer himself as a sacrifice for his people. And God fulfills his promise. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the gospel is still the same. God promises and God fulfills. In Romans 4, 3, we read, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God made a promise. Abraham believed in that promise. God fulfilled his promise. God was faithful. The same is for the Old Testament to the New Testament. Believe in God's promises. As I came to this text, 1 Corinthians 15, I had, I had a really hard time. I had a really hard time picking the scripture I wanted to preach from this week because I've been speaking about the gospel and what is the gospel and how can I speak about the gospel and not preach from the gospels? For it is in the gospels that we hear this good news arriving, that the things that God had promised to do, he was fulfilling in this person. Because at the center of the gospel narratives, we meet Jesus himself. Not a theory, not well wishes, not an idea, but we meet a person and there's something different about this person. If you have a nice house and you're inviting people in, how do they enter into that house? Well, through the door. Jesus is the door of the gospel. To be brought into the kingdom of God, you must know Jesus. But then I remembered that 1 Corinthians was actually written before all of the gospels. We believe 1 Corinthians was written sometime between 53 AD and 55 AD, which is about the same time as Mark's gospel. But Matthew didn't write his gospel until the late 50s or early 60s. Luke who traveled with Paul on his second and third missionary journeys and traveled with Paul to Rome, didn't write his gospel until sometime in the mid-60 AD. And John's gospel wasn't written until almost 90 AD, 60 years after the resurrection. And so I, come, or I came to this passage because Paul, in verses 3 and 4, summarizes everything we read about Jesus. And he says, this is of what's first importance. This is it. If you get this wrong, you get the gospel that we preach wrong. 
And what we'll see is that it's rooted in the Old Testament. And it's just the, Paul's single longest treatment of a specific topic out of any of his books. 58 verses on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to, you can sigh of relief, I'm not doing all 58 verses. I'm just doing the first 28. You all know the German reformer, Martin Luther. Martin Luther claimed that it is the doctrine of justification that the church will rise or it will fall. Contrary to that, B.B. Warfield, the Princetonian lion, a great theologian out of Princeton in the beginning of the 19th century, actually said, it is the risen Christ. It is the cardinal doctrine on which the church will rise or it will fall. Christianity stands and falls, he said in an address to Princeton Chapel, with the historical facts of the resurrected and risen Jesus Christ. These historical facts constitute in its substance the identity of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is if Jesus Christ is not risen from the grave, there is no good news. But as we come to the text, I want us to see three things. I want us to see the concerns that Paul has about the gospel. I want us to see the character of the gospel. And I want us to see the confidence that we should have in the gospel. The concerns of the gospel, the character of the gospel, and the confidence of the gospel. The, the concerns of the gospel. We actually, I'm actually going to start in verses 12 to 23. Because we're, we're, we're jumping in. We're just jumping in the text. We haven't read the first 14 verses and what Paul is writing to this, the Corinthians, and in fact to us also, is he's saying that the resurrection of Christ is at the heart of the gospel. And if someone is getting that wrong, we're getting it all wrong. And he introduces this in verses 12 to 19. Now, if Christ, read with me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, no, don't read it loud. Just read along with me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God and he raised and that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is, a fut is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, Christ, we, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as, a man, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is saying something corrective. He's saying, you're getting this wrong. Now, he doesn't address them like the Galatians, where he says, you foolish Galatians. He's speaking to the church, and he's trying to get them back on track. 
And what Paul is saying is that Jesus is not raised from the dead. The entire story does not make sense. The gospel doesn't work if there's no resurrection from the dead. God has not made good on his promises if there's no resurrection from the dead. For the Corinthians are struggling with a platonic dualism. Now, tell me if this is something that you've heard. Matter, physical, they're bad. That's what leads us to temptation. It's, it's our physical bodies. It's our physical mind. It's the physicalness of who we are that makes us bad. But our spirits, oh, at death, our spirits are finally made free of the physical. Our spirits are our true essence. The spiritual life is the good life. The physical life is the bad life. But what Paul is saying is, that's, that's actually not true. Our spirits were never supposed to be separated from our bodies because our spirits are only separated from our bodies at death. And sin brought death, for the wages of sin is death. And Paul makes this distinction here in verse 21. For as by a man came death, for as in Adam all die. Paul is placing the pieces of the story back together and saying, death shouldn't make sense. Death shouldn't happen. And so this false dichotomy that you have, that our spirits should leave our bodies, is a false one, and it's not the goal of Scripture. And this is why he talks about the resurrection. For death has come into this world, and God has answered the problem of death. For by one man all die, but by one man also the resurrection of the dead has been accomplished. Because in Christ we are made alive. Our spirits at the resurrection, as happened with Jesus, the spirit is united to our bodies forever. When Paul says Christ is raised, he talks about the perfect sense. He isn't has risen. He is risen and will be forever risen, united to our united to his body forever. If you read Paul with this platonic dualism, you won't understand what he's talking about. Even if you go to Romans 5, where he makes this strong distinction of the, the flesh. But what you need to read is Paul is talking about the flesh and the spirit in the same way he's talking about those in Adam and those who are in Christ. Death has come into the world. But God is solving the problem of death and sin and he has done it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand the hope of the gospel and the resurrection from the dead. He assumes the people are in sin. That's why they're dying. That's what he says. Some of the witness, although some are still alive, some have fallen asleep. 
That's the same word for death. Some, some have died. But their hope is the same hope that we have. That those who we loved ha- that have died before, they will be raised with their bodies at the return of Christ and forever be united in glory. Paul is saying without this hope, without this truth, you're missing the story of what God redeemed you for. To reign with him. When the kingdom of God is handed over. And the king comes home and consummates his kingdom. These are the concerns that Paul has for the gospel. And then Paul, at the beginning of this passage, talks about the character of the gospel. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in fame. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and lastly, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul saying, if this gospel, if this resurrection life isn't true, all that we're saying is false. Did you, did you hear when, when, when I read over that? I hope you heard it. I hope you heard the Apostles' Creed, right? He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. And the third day he rose again from the dead. Paul is summarizing the tenets of the gospel. How has God saved us? In the life and the death and the resurrection of the promised Messiah. Christ died according to the Old Testament. Paul is referencing Isaiah 53, which is what we read last week. Christ was buried. Now, his burial, do you dare people that are still alive? No. His burial proves he was dead. Rudolf Boltmann was an early New Testament scholar from the first part of the 20th century. One of the most influential New Testament scholars out of Germany in the 20th century denied that Jesus died and was put in the grave. Christ died for our sins. To prove that he died for our sins, he was buried. But Paul doesn't stop there. Christ was also raised according to the scriptures. One of the passages that I really wanted to preach from was Acts 2, Peter's great sermon 
after Pentecost. And there, Peter actually quotes Psalm 16 to prove the resurrection of Christ. But Paul doesn't use just, he's not thinking of just one text. He's thinking of the entire narrative of Scripture. And most people say that the empty tomb is proof of the resurrection. But that's not actually what Paul says here, is it? He says, Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then what does he say? And then he appeared to Cephas. And then he appeared to the twelve and to James and to over five hundred brothers and sisters. Christ appeared. Hey, Terry, how would you like a 500-person witness list for your next trial? Right? It's not just because the tomb is empty. We, you can read at the end of in Matthew 28, the Pharisees tried to make a false story of why the tomb, tomb was empty. But no, Paul doesn't say that. Jesus wasn't raised just because the tomb was empty. Jesus was raised because he appeared to Peter, to the 12, and over 500 people. And he's saying, if you don't believe me, a lot of these people are still alive. Go ask them. He's creating a witness list. Paul is saying this is historical fact. This is how you prove things in the court of law. You have witnesses who come and testify about what is true. Our faith does not contradict fact. Our faith is in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's objective truth. And this is the gospel that we preach. This is our hope that we believe in. That a God that would make promises would actually fulfill those promises. This is what Paul says. This is the hope. This is the truth in which you stand, in which you are being saved. If this is not true, you are still in your sin. Those are the concerns of the gospel and the character of the gospel. And then at the very end, we find the confidence that we have in the gospel. Why does it all matter? Well, we have just an incredible picture here, starting in verse 24. Then comes the end. You know, the truth about this gospel that we preach, that God saves sinners, that's really, that's really great. It, this is why I preach. This is the good news of Scripture. God saves sinners. But in the story of Scripture, it's, the gospel isn't always concerned about just the here and now. Our salvation is not a hall pass. Yep, I'm saved. Now I can go do whatever I want. Our salvation is always pushing us towards something. It's always pushing us 
to what Paul says. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. He will destroy every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that is when we will give an account for everything we've ever done, thought, or said. And that's when we ask ourselves, oh, I really hope God was right. I really hope God accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish in Jesus. Because if we get to that day and it's wrong, we will remain in our sin. But the good news of the gospel is that outside of ourselves, God solved our sin problem in Jesus. God sought us, undeserving, unthankful, miserable people who honestly, more often than not, want to be left in our filth and our misery. And God sought us out in Christ and said, on that day, I will look at you and I will say you are justified in Christ alone. That is the gospel that we preach. So I have another question for you. Do you think that story is too good to be true? Because honestly, in my life, most days, I don't think it's, I don't think it's true. I think it's too good to be true. Because most days, that's not how I feel. Most days... I want to choose what's best for me. And most days I think, well, I'm, I mean, I know, I know, I mean, I'm a preacher. I know I have good theology. I read my Bible. I pray. But maybe God does love me just a little bit for all the things that I've done. I mean, I have a beautiful wife. We have a good marriage. We have kids that come to church. We probably have to drag them most of the time, but they're here. We eat mostly well. We exercise. We don't drink too much. We don't drive too fast. We don't hurt anybody. I mean, I could be better in a few things, but most of the things, you know, I, 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 I'm pretty good, right? But by thinking that, I'm denying the gospel itself. Because the gospel does not come from within inside me. The gospel comes through Christ. Who came to seek and save the lost. The gospel should never start with, I think or I feel. The gospel, when someone asks you, what is the gospel that you have received? It should always start with, Jesus died for sinners. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose. And Jesus appeared to more than 500 
people. Our faith is not contradictory to fact. If the facts of the gospel are not true, Paul says, we are still in our sins. And as Paul points out, it's something that we must believe. And we believe it because it's true, not because some feeling that I have. And because it's true that God is faithful. That God makes good on his promises. And this is the hope that we have for ourselves, and this is the hope that we have for the ones that we've already lost. Because their salvation isn't dependent upon them and it's not dependent on us. It's upon the risen and resurrected Christ. He's been faithful in the past. This is our proof to hope for the future. That on that day, God will look at us and say, I am well pleased because of Christ. This is why we preach. We don't preach as a calisthenic, not as a faith exercise. We preach because it's true. Christ died for you. Believe in him. Amen. Let us pray.